G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The story. One of my siblings went up to her and said, Mum, it's me, it's your daughter. And the woman sitting across from my mother said, I thought you said you don't have any children. And my mother stood up and grabbed her bag and looked at the woman and said, I don't. She walked away. And so the manipulation, the brainwashing is saying when your daughters, when your sons, when they leave this culture, when they're kicked out, you are to disconnect, you are to abandon them altogether and pretend they never existed. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, I'm sad to say that our guest today was raised in a secretive, highly abusive cult. Alex Davies' childhood sufferings then spilled into a troubled adolescence and a deeply disturbed adulthood. The result was he hated God. In his anger, he became a bully, a petty thief and, but for the grace of God, a murderer. However, these days, Alex is a passionate, God-loving Christian, and his book is entitled Hating God, Loving God, How a Young Man Born into Suffering and Driven to Despair Found Jesus Christ. Today, we'll find out how his life turned around as he has a chat with Shelley Scowen. Alex, thanks for joining us on the story today. No worries at all. Thanks very much. Well, as mentioned, you were raised in a cult. What was that like? Can you describe what it was like for us? Yes, that's a good question. And to be honest, that, that's one of my most asked questions at the moment, especially after the release of my autobiography. Very hard to, I guess, explain as it was very much about torturing children on a mental, emotional and physical level and also manipulating the parents and the adults to convince intellectual people within the community to believe, I guess really to say that this nonsense about that the cult leader was God's last living apostle and that his church was the one true church and, you know, there was no followers of God, there was only followers of himself and um, it, it was quite unique. I guess looking back, it was just very much just about control and about greed, about how do I make sure that none of my followers leave this cult and at the same time make as much money as I can and really it's just about making sure each generation uh, grows stronger in the cult so uh, when this particular pastor of this cult brainwashed and manipulated these parents uh, and these adults to convince them and use their desperation as a weapon he then condoned and he enforced the torture of children but made it in a way and used a twisted biblical scripture to really Uh, twist his way into say, yes, you should torture your children and we'll do it for you as well. Our elders of the church, we'll get random men in the church to beat and to bash and uh, there were even cases of rape and really bully, belittle and, and really beat your children to a pulp and you're going to do it as well and you're going to think that this is the right thing to do because we've brainwashed you to think that way. Wow, that's just awful, isn't it? It is. It absolutely is. But I guess looking from the outside, it's a twisted cult, but really it was just using people's desperation and, and longing for hope and longing for really purpose. And he sort of saw that as dollar signs and 
use every method of psychology um, and even war tactics, breaking someone's mind, body and spirit and then building them up as, as anyone they want them to be. So using those war tactics as well as psychology tactics um, to really make people become a part of his cult. Yeah, it was, it was quite full on. Just a tragic situation, and you were using the word there, brainwashing, a whole lot. Uh, and, of course, yeah, brainwashing the parents. What does that mean then in terms of your own relationship with your parents? You can see that they got brainwashed uh, to think that this mm. was okay to do to you. What is your relationship like with your parents, you know, over the years? That's a good question. Uh, whenever I'm asked that question, people, you know, it's, it's normal to ask, what are your parents like or what are your parents do? And I sort of have to very go into a deep conversation about what my status is with my family. My father is dead. Um, it was one of the reasons why I really came to hate God. And even though looking at what my parents did and what the actual church did, it's strange that quite a few years ago when he died, at the point that he died, I loved him and he was he was finally my dad after all these years. But uh, my mother, unfortunately, is still well and truly a part of that cult. She's well and truly involved in this. And there's even a story, and I'm happy to disclose it to you now, about why my mother doesn't talk to me and really doesn't talk to any of my siblings. And the, the really, uh, I guess the, the short or the summary of the story is when one of my siblings um, a few years ago saw my mother in the supermarket she was having coffee with a friend and my one of my siblings went up to her and said, Mum, and my mother looked at her and then quickly looked away. And my sibling or one of my siblings said, Mum, it's me, it's your daughter. And the woman sitting across from my mother said, I thought you said you don't have any children. And my mother stood up and grabbed her bag and looked at the woman and said, I don't. And she walked away. And so wow. if that gives any credit to this cult, the manipulation and the brainwashing is saying when your siblings, when, when your daughters, when your sons, when your husbands, when your wives, when they leave this cult or when they're kicked out of this cult, like at the, like at the high school, when they're kicked out, you are to disconnect, you are to abandon them altogether and pretend they never existed because God doesn't love them. They're sentenced to hell. They never existed. The control of the church is so strong that my mother felt it was best in her interest, as well as following the rules of the church, to just pretend she didn't have any children to ease her own burden, as well as just obey the laws or, or the rules of the cult. So it, it's quite disheartening as a son, but I can understand now, looking back all these years, and I do forgive her for, for what she's done, looking back all these years and thinking she's just a victim. She's done a lot of wrong things, as we all have. We're all sinners. But she's just victim to this manipulation brainwashing and has been for decades now. Um, she doesn't know anything else. Surely that must affect her on an emotional level as well. You know, I don't think any mother is quite that hard. I mean, the fact that she had to get up and leave that day, uh, she knows that she's got these children. And so, you know, no matter what's going on in her life, you know, it's got to be affecting her on an emotional level of some sort. I think uh, half of Australia has just added her to their prayer list because she is certainly not beyond the reach of God. Hey, So we, we do pray that there'll be a great uh, reconciliation story there for you. That's great. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And I think she will too. When you talk about cults, I tend to think of America. I mean, I, I kind of just think, oh, yeah, cults are basically over in America and they do some really weird things over there. How prolific or you know, how much is actually going on here in Australia? Even when I was writing this book and I had some, uh, I guess, some family and some even some colleagues that knew that I was doing it 
saying, did you ever spend time in America is that where all this happened? And I said, no, 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 this happened an hour away from Melbourne. This happened in the second largest city in Victoria, in Australia. And people are just sort of dumbfounded by saying, you know, these cults or, or these organizations are living right under your nose, but there's, there's no real spotlight on it. So I can't say, I guess, how many cults are really within Australia um, and really acting. But from doing a lot of research, especially now, um, and even one of my siblings who's heavily invested in really finding out and sourcing these cults and, and sort of sharing to people saying, look, just beware if you are looking for Christ, don't go to, to this particular organization. There are quite a few hanging around, but all I can say from my point of view is whenever you, you go to a church and you're, you're desperate and, and you really you feel a bit lost, uh, alone, you're really desperate for hope and you really want an answer, I would personally say the message that they're giving, if it aligns to the gospel, if it sticks within the lines of what Christ said and what God said and, and the commandments that they led, then listen more. But if as soon as they start going on or as soon as you start thinking that this is being twisted or this isn't just right, I would take everything when you approach a new church or you go to a new church with a grain of salt. And I'm not trying to, to dismiss Christianity or religion altogether. I'm a Christian myself. But I would take things with a grain of salt because there are organizations, there are cults out there that are looking to use and manipulate and brainwash desperate people out there that do feel alone, that do feel lost, that that's, uh, they, they're just looking for any source of hope. So I would just approach these, these cults or I, I would approach these churches with a grain of salt saying, I need to make sure this is aligning to what the gospel said, what Jesus said and what God said in his commandments. And if it doesn't, this isn't for me. I can hear that you are loving God now, but your autobiography has those two sides. It's hating God, loving God. And we've heard a little bit about your childhood and the awful things that both happened to you and that you witnessed as well. Uh, and that led to some pretty tough times for you throughout your adolescence and even into adulthood as well. Tell us about what life was like for you as a teenager. How long do you have? It's <laughs> a, a very... Um, that's a very loaded question, but um, look, I went down a very dangerous path and a very torturous and a wicked path, as you can imagine. If you, say for example, you break a glass or you break a plate, and once it's broken, you acknowledge and you know that it's broken because you knew how it looked in the first place. And you knew that once it was whole and now it's broken and you can see that and you know that there was a purpose before, um, but now that it's smashed, it's, it's just broken. But what if you didn't have any moral compass to know if the plate was broken in the first place, what if you saw a broken plate or you saw a broken glass and you didn't know any difference, you didn't know there was a before or an after, you thought that was normal and you thought it was normal because someone made you believe that this was normal and this really was my mind and it was my life and it was all because of, again, the, the brainwashing and the, the torture that I underwent uh, because of the cult and how it all started, how my teenage life really became really wicked and just evil is because of the torture that the cult really lashed out on nearly every single day was that God loves you and will protect you and that, you know, you're part of the one true church and, you know, you listen to God's last living apostle and God loves you and only loves the people of this cult. Yet he wants to break you and he wants to get men to beat you until you fell unconscious because of the pain and he wants to beat you until you bleed and he wants to beat you until these men grow tired and it doesn't matter how many times you plead and you beg and you crawl away they keep going for more but god loves you and it 
breaks your mind, it really fractures your mind. Mm. Because it's two sides of the coin trying to work together, if that makes sense. You're listening to The Story. Today, Shelley Scowen is chatting with Alex Davies, author of the book Hating God, Loving God, about his experiences growing up in a highly abusive, secretive cult. As we've been hearing, the brainwashing of the cult really messed with his mind and gave him a distorted view of God. We'll find out how he eventually learns the truth when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're continuing with Shelley Scowen chatting with Alex Davies, author of the book Hating God, Loving God which is about his experiences growing up in a highly abusive, secretive cult. As we heard before the break, the brainwashing of the cult really messed with his mind, and this has caused him to have a deep anger towards God. Next, we'll hear how his hatred was impacting his life. The hatred for God that he allowed these things to happen, it was overwhelming. But in my teenage life, especially when I was 15, I not only tried to to murder milk bar manager, um, who was, again, unsuspected, middle-of-the-night, pitch black, tried to murder him, but also also a room full of high school students. It wasn't just a, was having a bad day or just felt a bit angry one day, so I'm just going to uh, murder these people. You know, altogether it was over 20 people. But it was that I hated God so much, and it was that these people seemed happy. These people seemed like they had beautiful families and, and happy families and laughing parents and would kiss them and hug them and say, you know, have a great day at school. And I hated them, but I hated God more that I felt that he blessed them or he loved them more than me, even though I was meant to be a part of this church and, and all these things. So I went around very much so trying to murder innocent people. And I went through, again, uh, breaking and entering and being in front of a court and being in front of a magistrate and smirking at him when the comments that I said to the police when I was arrested. And I would smirk at him because I was arrogant because I I was enjoying, uh, I guess, seeing him sort of anguish of the things that I did. Uh, In my teenage life, I went through monetary greed. I went through uh, materialistic greed. I went through immoral greed. Really just anything that you can think of when it comes to a moral pleasure, when it comes to materialistic greed, just greed really about how much money you can make. Anything when it comes to that, I did, but I did it in spades. I didn't just drink that salt water of of a moral pleasure and and really sin. I bathed in it. And I I lived like that for over a decade. Mm. Um, But it was a long and a torturous path. And it was very interesting that along that way, God was there the whole time giving a little wave and, and really leading me and into some parts even when he would provide a sign and he would provide this supernatural divine experience i would try to force myself thinking no it couldn't have been from him like there's no other explanation but it can't be from him and i would just continue on my way to hating god until that day that i uh, i no longer did it's interesting a lot of people in this sort of situation would just stop believing in god why did you keep believing in god and hate him instead I think what it was is being in the cult, I did get to see some passionate people about God and 
I guess I knew somewhere in, in my heart, even though I hated him, I, I felt like I knew somewhere in my heart that behind all this nonsense, behind all the torture, behind all the manipulation, behind all the brainwashing, there was something there. And I, and I believed there was a God, but the stories and I guess the information that I had been flooded that he loved me and that he was a good God and that he would look after you and that he has claims to, to raise you up um, and that he would never leave you or forsake you, that I really burnt away and thought, I believe there is a God, but I believe he hates me. And because he hates me, I hate him. I guess you can really say, even through the brainwashing, I still believe somewhere inside that there was something and, and that there was a God. But I guess the brainwashing that helps, uh, or that, that was pumped into my mind, saying, no, 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 he loves you and he's going to care for you and he's going to take you to heaven. And uh, because you're a part of this cult, that's where you're going to go. I pushed that aside. I rejected that altogether, saying, no, I hate, uh, he hates me and I hate him just as much. And I'm going to... Uh, I think I said in the book, in one of my chapters, that if he loves his other children so much, so, you know, now they're human beings and he loves them so much and he blesses them with family and friends and love and uh, everything, then I'm going to take away from him the one thing that he loves and that's his children. And then I really went on this rampage of, of hate just in the pursuit of knowing that I believe in God, but I hated him more than I believe that he hated me. Yeah, it's a very interesting situation. And even then it's like, well, who are you? You know, one tiny little human doing all of this stuff to get back at God when you knew full well that God was a very big God. Um, and really, you know, yeah. you're just little old me. But it, it just shows that you were, you know, just so impacted by these awful things in your childhood. Tell us about the turning point. Let's let's get to the happy part of the story. Okay, okay. <laughs> So look, even uh, through after, I guess, my, my tortuous childhood and destructive um, adolescence, and don't get me wrong, in that 10 years of when I was destructive, there were many things that again happened to me. For example, uh, being disowned and abandoned by my family and living at a drug user's place and just being made to really sleep on the floor or living in caravans, unable to, to really enter into someone's house, really left out, I guess you can say, like an outside dog. And there were many things, living in a, in a halfway house. And it was all very doom and gloom, and I guess. But the turning point, I guess, really came, I couldn't deny anymore that he was there. I guess I really got to the point, especially when I was going through my, my wicked past, that I really rejected God altogether and rejected God to the point where I no longer believed that he was there. So really just said, there isn't a God. All there is me and me trying to find an identity and find my happiness. There's no God. Rejected that idea altogether. And that made my path even more wicked. And I really got to the point where one day I wanted to commit suicide. And it stemmed from one day. It wasn't just an idea saying, look, I'm really sad. I'm having a really crappy day. Um, this was the day that I knew not only how I was going to die, but the day that I was going to die. And I remember just before I was going to take my life, um, I really fell on the shower floor and I just prayed. And I prayed to Christ and I prayed to God and I said, look, I don't want to die. If you don't step into my life right now, I'm going to take my life altogether. I need you to take away this, this feeling of suicide. I need you to, to come in and, and I need to take this feeling away. I don't care what you do. Just take this suicide. Take this away because I'll do it myself if you don't. And it wasn't uh, a half-hearted prayer. It wasn't skeptical. It, what it wasn't that faith. It was, it was completely hopeful and completely... I guess I would say faithfully, even just knowing that there is someone there and there is a Christ there that, that could help me. 
Um, and from then on, things started happening where I no longer felt suicidal. And the, these signs and these inexplainable signs kept on happening. And I, so I thought instead that he's really taken me from that suicidal point. I said, I need to find that really there's a God. I'm not going to believe, you know, uh, every cat and their dog and they say there is a Christ. I'm not going to believe that. I'm not going to believe it anymore. I need to find it for myself. So for weeks and weeks, even going to the month, I did all the research on God and is there evidence for the existence of God and not at a personal level, but at a scientific level. So I would listen to philosophers such as Rabbi Zacharias, um, Abdul Murray, William Lane Craig, and really, you know, PhDs and triple uh, doctorate uh, professors really speak on the evidence of the existence of God and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And after many, many, many weeks and months, I came to realize intellectually that there was a Christ and that there was a God. But emotionally, when I found God, it was the most, so I'm getting a bit choked up, it was the most sensational, sensational day of my life. It was, he transformed my life and he turned it around and he did it in such an amazing, divine, euphoric way that I remember I was sitting into a chair next to a pastor and I just gave my life to Christ. And it was, it was just everything, everything off my chest. And I just said, I ask you to come into my life and I ask you to transform my life and transform my soul. And even now I have a beautiful wife. We have a house and, and I don't just have one family, but I have two and I have the best, loveliest, caring friend in the world. And I have a great job and I have so much love and care around me. And it, it was, it's just, it really has in so many ways changed my life. But at this particular turning point, which is really disclosed in the last chapter of the book, um, was how he really and when he really changed my life. And I couldn't deny him anymore. And I couldn't run from him anymore. And I knew at that day that he really loved me. So, yeah, that was that was really the turning point. It It is interesting in that you were told, you know, from very, very early days that God loved you. And you talk about yourself, you know, your own feelings towards God, hating him and then loving him. Is it interesting for you to look back and know that God has loved you this whole time? And, I mean, it must have been breaking his heart to see you in that cult and all the awful things that happened to you there. But isn't it amazing that even though we can run away from God and we can decide to hate him, he never stops loving us, even in the midst of that rebellion? Absolutely. You're absolutely spot on. The cult may have twisted the lies and they may have twisted deceit and manipulation and brainwashing into the word of God and really into his message, you know, that he loves us no matter what we do. And even says that that no one is righteous. Everyone is a sinner and they need to come before him, but he, he will never leave us or forsake us. And even says, you know, uh, nothing in heaven on earth or below the earth will separate us from the love of God. But yet the, the cult really twisted that and said, only if you're a part of this cult, of course. Um, and, you know, you have to listen to this pastor who apparently is, a, is the, the last living apostle of God. But you're absolutely right. I think in my, in my last chapter of the book, it was, uh, it's called Looking Back, where I really looked back at my life. And it, it was a couple of months after I gave my life to Christ. And I looked back at everything that he had done. Like, it wasn't just, he didn't just provide... Uh, really his signs and, and supernatural dreams and really his divine intervention at the end of my journey, it was throughout and looking back to really see his his intervention and we're seeing that if he never really spoke to me before I murdered that milk bar man, 
I would be in prison to this day, you know, serving a 25 to life. If he never spoke to me and answered my prayer in the halfway house, and I would have walked a much more wicked and evil path than I did. And again, if he never answered my prayer and he never reached out to me when I asked for his help before I, I tried to take my life, I, would, I wouldn't be here today having this conversation with you and, and, and speaking to uh, your readers. So he, in over a dozen signs and really revelations that he showed me throughout my whole life, even when I was young, he never left me. He never left me when I cursed him. He never left me when I hated him. He never left me when I tried to murder, again, his, his creations, his children, like my fellow human beings. He, he didn't leave me or, or uh, disowned me when I stole and I, I went to court and I got arrested and I, and I would... Through it, through myself and bathed in a moral pleasure and, and really greed, you know, in a materialistic and also um, really just financial greed. He didn't leave me at all. He didn't leave me when I completely rejected him and just said, "I it's just all about me and my happiness. He was just there from the day dot and he was just there waiting for me to take the bread from his hand. Yeah, it was just sensational. He, he's just, he is, he's something else. He's something else. He is... <laughs> He's the best father I've ever had. He's pretty good. I think I'll keep him. Yes, yes, that's good. Yes, we'll keep him. We'll keep him around. Yeah, we'll keep him around around. (laughs) because he'll keep us around as well. I really like your story, how it has the two big aspects to it of your emotional journey with God, but also your intellectual journey with God as well. A lot of our listeners will be very familiar with Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, where you did some formal study at their academy as well. So, yes, as you say, you've done definitely the intellectual side in terms of knowing exactly what you believe and why you believe it but obviously that emotional understanding that you have as well it's a fascinating story you can read it A.K. Davies the author of the autobiography Hating God Loving God Alex thanks so much for sharing your story today thanks very much thanks for having me that was Shelley Scowen having a chat with Alex Davies about his life growing up in a highly abusive secretive cult And it was great to hear that despite all the terrible experiences he's had as a child, God's love broke through all his anger and began to heal his life. But at the same time, it was pretty disturbing to learn that there's such horrific cults out there that are hurting people and messing up their lives, led by deceptive, manipulative preachers. We're warned about people like this in the Bible where it says, Beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. These wolves in sheep's clothing outwardly look harmless and kind, but inwardly they are full of hate and deceit. They twist scripture to fit their own agenda. They deceive their audiences while appearing attractive. This is something for all of us to be aware of, especially when attending a new church and things just don't seem right. Or they start saying things like they are the one and only true church and that you should disassociate from all other Christians. These are just a few of the red flags to look for. To learn more about Alex Davies' life story and his experiences in a cult, once again, his book is called Hating God, Loving God, How a Young Man Born into Suffering and Driven to Despair found Jesus Christ. As an author, Alex goes by A.K. Davies, and his website is akdavies.net. That's akdavies.net. Well, thanks for joining us for Alex's story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. The biggest thing was that they actually had sent in a lady that brought in some children from a government orphanage 
and she was staying on the site. This woman watched me in particular the whole time I was there. And on the last day, she went and got the interpreter to ask me what it was that I had that she wanted. And I was able to lead her right through to the Lord and what an amazing change. Beverly Clark knew that she always wanted to be a missionary, but it wasn't until her children were grown that she finally went on her first trip overseas. Beverly's life shows that you're never too young or too old for God to use you. And we'll hear her inspiring story next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.